Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. This is not what we wanted to be talking about the weekend after the West Virginia game, but the Frogs go down in a heartbreaker 24-21. I feel like the play matched the crowd, matched the energy, and there was a lot to that. We're going to get to some stuff at the very end that uh, obviously we're thinking about that is more important for football for the whole, you know, for the whole Dykes family. But let's let's just kick off with uh, some some of the things you've recapped, Jeremy. I've seen you've written about this, you've posted about this, but let's let's just shoot through some of the pointers here. All right, first drive, John Paul Richardson takes it to the house, 59 yards. I thought this is a great way to start the game. We wanted to see the Frog offense come out. We wanted to see him score, not settle for field goals. Hey, we didn't have to settle for any field goals this game because we didn't have one. But you have that opening drive where, they, where uh, JP takes it 59 yards. And then would you have believed me that when uh, Dalen Wright scores with 35 seconds left in the half – that that's the last touchdown, the last points that the Frogs put on the board. And would you believe me after that play that the Frogs would get one yard in the third quarter? You said maybe they could have been up 35-7 at half. Ends up that the Frogs just, everything finally caught up to them with what we've been complaining about and fans have been complaining about for the last few weeks here. Did you think those three truths could somehow collide? No. I mean... Like I, I think everyone agreed with what I said um, on the game thread. I mean, any, everyone that watched that game knew that there were some serious points being left on the board. They had 312 yards of offense in the first half. And you go from 312 total yards in the first half to one yard in the third quarter. There is – there's no way I could have ever if, – if you would have told me, Jeff, hey, man – they're going to get one yard in the third quarter. I said, man, I would have told you, man, you are just absolutely drinking the good stuff. There's no way. I don't think – I can't remember. You – I mean, you 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 dated back further than me as, as being a student at TCU. I wasn't a student at TCU, but I started covering this team in 05. I've never seen them have a quarter of football that looks so bad on offense. Um and what was the third point that you were trying to make? I don't want to keep rambling here. Oh, Dalen Wright, Wright scoring there at the end of the half. I thought, all right, this is what they need. They're going to get the ball back at the at the start of the second half. And that those were the last points that the Frogs put on the board. I felt so good about that drive at the end of the game. I mean, at the end of the first half. Yeah, I mean, that was a great throw, great catch, great play by, by Dalen. And you're thinking, okay, well, because I, I, I want to say West Virginia had just tied up the game. And – TCU has less than two minutes to go score and they go down there and do it. And you're thinking, okay, this, now they're moving. This is, this is what we've wanted to see all, all, uh, season. 318 yards at half. They're leading. They're going to come out in third quarter. They're going to be firing all, on all cylinders. They're getting the ball first. This is about to be a two touchdown lead really, really quick out of the gate in the, in the second half. And boy, was I wrong. Um, I mean, anyone that watched the Sunny Docks post game, interview can see a very defeated man and he himself said he has never seen as bad an offense in a, in a quarter of play than what we saw on Saturday night when we went to the half I, I put this on the board I put it on Twitter that if the frogs you know getting the ball coming out of the sec coming out of halftime if they take the ball march down the field and score a touchdown, I think that's going to be enough to win a game. And it, and it would have been. It would have been enough to win the game. But if they don't march down the field and score a touchdown, it is going to be anxiety until the very last snap. 
And guess what? It was anxiety until the very last snap. Just that drive alone. Uh, I, I think it was a three and out. I, I had it written down here. I can't find it. I think it was a three and out. And things, it just, it just set the course for the rest of the half. And it, it just kind of went the way that it did uh, in that opening drive until the whistle blew. Well, they actually got a first down on the opening drive, I think, in the third quarter. And then after that, it was pump, pump. I mean, they couldn't get anything going. That's right. Um, That's right. That's right. But that, yeah. We're going to get into it. I know. I know we're going to, we're going to talk offense a lot. We haven't really had to talk offense a whole lot this whole season because we've always kind of been, Hey, they're averaging 38 points. They're doing enough on that side of the ball to win the, win the ball game. And I think everyone can agree that this is the first game where you can really look at it and say, Hey, defense did their job. Whether you think they played great or not, they, they played really good. Um, this one, this one's on the offense, man. You and special teams and coach docs will tell you straight up. That's what this ball game was about. So it's, it's, uh, it's Tom. We, we need to dissect, uh, what exactly is going wrong with that side of the ball. And we've already mentioned a few things. Well, let's get into that side of the ball. Uh, some of these numbers are going to be deceptive here in my unprofessional assessment. Chandler goes 23 for 41. 298 yards, and uh, he had, in my count, at least three dropped interceptions that I think would have been INTs with, with anybody except, let's go back to Nasseri Ruffin. This, it was like he was throwing it to Stonehands. It's a D, there's a reason that guy's playing D-back and not playing wide receiver for West Virginia. But I thought Chandler's his numbers were deceptive. He obviously overthrew some receivers. I mean, I, I don't know exactly everything that happened. We had some deep passes that he was not able to connect on with, with receivers that were open. I, I, I counted four different times. Catch it. It's, a, an ex, it's an explosive play at a minimum. Touchdown on at least a couple of them. And so we pair this up with how I think Chandler underperformed. I think that's his worst game of the year. I think that's okay to say. I'm not into just trashing student athletes on a podcast, but that was the worst game he's played all year. And then we pair that up with what I think is the, you know, it's time to, to, to ask even harder questions of, of the offense that Browse is running. You and I have felt comfortable at times with the way Browse has run this offense, but we've said on this, we've said on this podcast, our fans have said it on Horn Frog Blitz. Our third down conversion is, uh, is not working. You know, our, our, our third down play calling is suspect. And then it, it, everything just kind of piles up when you lose. Can we kill the jet sweep? Can we can we get Jared Wiley the ball after the first drive of the game? Those type of things just get compounded when the frogs do not uh, when the frogs don't pull it out. But let's let's just start with Chandler because I could ramble on about this. We got plenty to say about the offense. What do you take on his game? I, I would agree. I think those numbers are kind of you know twenty three of forty one. And you're right. There was a few few passes that West Virginia dropped. I remember one third down conversion in particular where it looked, actually, I think it was a third down right before Dalen Wright's touchdown where they kind of read that Jared Wiley was going to be the target the whole time. And the guy stepped right in front of it and he should have picked it. I mean, that should have been an interception, but live to see another down, throw a great pass. Yeah, it was the next play because I remember posting on the board, Chandler almost gets picked. And then the next play, he throws an absolute dart to Dalen Wright and Dalen scores on it. So and that was a great route development that Dalen ran. Yeah, and that's I think we we kind of saw Chandler from week 1. Passes weren't there. He's he's struggling a whole lot throwing the deep ball. And kind of what I've 
said to myself, I haven't really talked about it a whole lot on, on the board or even on here. I think, I think Kendall's trying to run what we saw uh, from Baylor in those early years, those, the, the run heavy offense with the vertical ball where, you know, they were so successful throwing the vertical deep ball that everyone thought that's all they were, but they were a really good run team. The problem right now is he wants to run the ball and he wants to throw vertical, but a, you have a quarterback that's not really good at throwing the ball vertically. He did well against Houston, took a, took a little bit of a step back against SMU and took a huge step back against um, West Virginia. But at the same time, I also don't think you have that guy. You don't have a KD Cannon. You don't have a Corey Coleman that's a four two nine guy receiver where they could just consistently throw deep on those vertical passes. So I think that's part of the problem as well. Well, let's go back to the metaphor I used at the beginning of the season. You lose Quentin Johnston, but we've all talked about just how loaded this wide receiver room is, but they don't have a horse. If we're going to money ball the wide receiver room, you've got to adjust to that. You know, how many times last year did we think, all right, it's it's third and nine. We know that Quentin Johnston's going to be a primary target. And if he's, if he's not, you've got Darius Davis. You've got Jared Wiley. You've got Tay Barber. Uh, you've got uh, Kendra out of the backfield. You've got Amari uh, DiMarcado out of the backfield. But when you have that horse, when you have that that – that that first round draft pick or that 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 elite co- even an elite college wide receiver, you can it, it changes the way that the defense prepares. We don't have that player. I think that's just what we need to be able to name. And I don't think either you or I were sitting here saying, uh, you know, we've got another Quentin Johnston to just reload with. But clearly, the deficiency or you know the the adjustment uh, at, at the at the ability of our wide receivers is is having an impact. And I think I think it's safe to say that that Moneyball is not working the way we want, and and Bryles has got to adjust with not having that KD Cannon or like Garrett Riley had that Quentin Johnson because it's not doing what it needs to do. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I did positive note. I did like the receivers; they caught the ball better. I didn't remember quite as many drops at receiver as we've seen in the previous games this season. So. That's that's kind of a silver lining, but we did see we did see Chandler hold on to the ball a lot. I think a couple of those sacks where they're driving late in the game, they're only <laughs> we're gonna get into another position group. I know. I hope you have it on your notes. I'm almost knowing you as long as I have, I know you're gonna have offensive line on your notes. It's next. Uh, it's next. But, um, there's there there was occasions where I like Chandler's pocket presence I like the way he wants to stay in there but there's some times and that's that was the difference between Chandler and Max because Max didn't have that pocket presence Max didn't like staying in the pocket I think if Max was on that final drive last night and I'm not trying to say Max is better than Chandler or whatnot but I do firmly believe Max takes off and runs as soon as he doesn't see that read happen. As soon as he doesn't see anything in those first three seconds, Max is gone. Max is using his legs. And with a four-man rush, you're going to get something. Um, Positive note, I did like the way I saw Chandler run the ball in the first half. There's a few of those RPOs where second half – he didn't didn't make the right choice. I mean, let's be honest. He didn't make – there was one play after um, JoJo muffed the punt and luckily they recovered at their own goal. There was one play where he could have ran the zone read. He hands it to Imani. Imani gets blasted for a loss. And if you pull that ball, he might 
he might be running still. I mean, he it could have been a long gain. So it's it's one of those deals where he he took a he took a step back from the way he's performed the last three weeks. Well, we have talked about before, and I'm not, I don't want to put an uh, injured player on the couch or somebody rehabbing from a painful injury on a couch, but he's still he's still lacking some of that confidence of just his health. You know that you know we talked about how he didn't take the ball and run against Colorado, and and you've talked about when you pulled your Achilles, just like how afraid you were to run. And I'm I'm not dogging his his development, and I'm not dogging his rehab. I'm just saying it feels as if it was pre- it, it reemerged against uh, West Virginia the other night, and I think that's something that, that that we have to we have to adjust to, and we have to build a, a better game plan around because it's there one week and it's not the next, and I don't think it was there last night. I've never seen a player's confidence level goes so high in one half of football to so low in the next half, especially that third quarter. I mean, they were struggling. He was throwing into crowds. He was airmailing it to the sideline. He wasn't running the ball as good as he was in the first half. And I know West Virginia makes adjustments. Every team makes adjustments at halftime. I'm not that naive, but – the, the level of play, and, and I said it on the board, and I took some heat for it, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame Browse for play calling on some of those occasions. I don't like the hurry-up tempo, fourth and short. I don't like I, – I, take your time, get under center. TCU fans <laughs> still have PTSD from not getting under center on fourth and shorts. What I – what I don't like is when, and you said it earlier, you're not going to come on here and blame student athletes, but these are, in most cases, 20 to 22-year-old players. You know, you've got rookies in the NFL that are 21, 22 years old, and they take all kinds of heat. Sometimes you do have to look at execution. You have to look at execution on on a lot of these things. Like, I don't I don't hear anyone saying Tom Berdahl should have caught that punt JoJo Earl muffed, you know. People are people are going to talk certain ways about the offense, and I do firmly believe, and I don't give a crap what anyone says to me. I firmly believe Browse haters, and I posted this on the board, have been waiting for this game for since January. I, I firmly believe that, and this was the perfect perfect uh, game to do it on. And you know they they have they have a right, but don't bring a you know if you're going to say Browse. Stinks. Say he stinks because his play calls, not because you know all the all the you know off field stuff that people always continually want to throw in. But I I am a firm believer, firm believer. And Sonny said that go go back and watch his post game interview. And Jeff, you've coached at the Pee Wee level. I've coached at the Pee Wee level, so we're smart. If your offensive line is not blocking, you might as well just take that playbook and wad it up and throw it in the trash because there ain't a damn call you're going to have all game that's going to be successful. And the way that offensive line was executing last night, I don't give a care if Garrett Riley was there. I don't care if the top offensive coordinator in college football was calling plays. They were going to have the same type of success last night. Two things, and then we're going to talk about the offensive line. You talk about player uh, execution. I, You know, we coached. We did coach. Actually, in, in 98 and 99, I coached at All Saints back when they were in White Settlement. 
we're doing a game on a Friday night. We're playing Trinity Valley, and we're pinned back at the one. And our coach, Brian Latner, I know there's three or four listeners that played for him. Our quarterback just dropped back and dropped a bomb as far as he could down the field. And it connected, and it went like 99 yards for a touchdown except we had a hold from our backside tackle in the end zone. And you know what a hold in the end zone is? That's a safety. Coach Latner goes out on the field, I mean midfield, and he's like, I can't quote him without getting an explicit rating, but he goes, I know that's not a hold because that kid hadn't blocked in two years. (laughs) So if they don't don't block, if they don't catch the ball, if if they throw the ball at the shoelaces, it doesn't really matter. Um, I guess the differentiation I wanted to make because I am, I actually am, and 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 I I I, I posted something on Twitter last night that I felt bad about and I took it down. But we can critique the execution of student athletes. They're out there. They're this is this is semi-pro ball. Except all the management has the money. Like this is a multi-billion-dollar industry of college football, and they are nineteen and twenty and twenty-one years old. But some of these guys are six-year seniors, and uh, you know they're they're grown men. And I don't want. I never want to talk about their character. I never want to say they quit. I never want to say they don't want to be out there. And I don't want to be one of these old guys that says, "Well, you know, when I played, we played hard every single play." No, you didn't. You're you're lazy, just like I am. So I want to set that over there. But what you can do is critique execution. And speaking of critiquing execution, Jeremy, have you seen a worse second half from an offensive line? First half, it was not killer, but the second half from that offensive line, I know Coleman was out, but we did not get any push. Um, uh, Amari Bailey, I mean, uh, Bailey, I mean, Amani Bailey, 19 carries for 55 yards. That's not because he doesn't have want to. That's not because we didn't scheme well. It's because we didn't block up front, and that was chronic all game. And that was the worst running performance I have ever seen from TCU. It's it's bad because you really couldn't make an argument which way they were running the football. They tried running up the middle. They're getting smacked. They tried running to the left. They're getting smacked. They tried running outside to the right. They're getting smacked. No matter where TCU tried to run the ball until really late in the game, I mean, take away those. I mean, I, I hate to say it because I hate when people say, hey, you got to take away this run and he would only have this. But honestly, if you look at the way TCU is blocking, imagine if Amani didn't have those two runs in the fourth quarter where he kind of went up the middle and how bad it would have been. At the end of the day, he averaged 2.9 yards per carry. That is the leading rusher in the Big 12 coming into this game. And I believe sixth or seventh nationally. He was he's a very good running back, and he's still gonna run for a lot of yards this year. But West Virginia schemed to to sell out on the run, and they could because Chandler was throwing erratically in the third quarter. And when you have an offensive line that's not gonna block for your running back, and you have an offensive line that's not really gonna protect your quarterback, he's running for his life. He's kind of having to make plays, and then when he doesn't have to run for his life, he's still throwing the ball bad or staying in the pocket too long. It's just it's not it's not a good mix. But I think Brandon Coleman not playing last night, I think it it, it hurt them tremendously. I think I don't think people really take a look. Everyone wants to talk about the loss of Quentin or the loss of Max or Kendra and you know those guys. And they'll mention Darius, and they'll mention Tay. And then it's kind of like people wait to mention Steve Avila. 
Steve Avila was quite possibly the best offensive lineman in the Big 12 last year. He will be in, he the, will NFL be in the NFL longer than anybody, than anybody from the Big 12, the Big 12 drafted, drafted last year. Yeah, I, I agree. And that guy was such a huge presence in the middle. Oh, but wait, there's more. Alon Ali, that guy started like 65 games in his college career. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm pretty sure he started about 50 games. He played in over 50 games in his college. He was a six-year guy. Wes Harris, even though he was often injured, he was a guy that played in a lot of games, and he he was in college football for five or six years himself. He was one of those COVID six-year seniors. Yeah. that was You can't replicate that. So you, you talk about those three guys, and John Lance was – part of that equation last year John's still coming back I still don't I, I really don't feel like he's a hundred percent something's just telling me he's not a hundred percent but you lose those three guys you lose Avila Ollie and Harris you're losing a bulk of that great offensive line that they had last year and that's the difference someone made a great point I always hate because I always say this on the frogcast when I see a post and I always forget yeah I've I, don't give the 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 poster credit because I can't remember their name, but someone made a great point. It's like you know Kendall's having to do this with the offense. Everyone's talking about how Garrett Riley was this and that. Well, look who he had. Look who he had. Okay, Chandler has made exactly five or six career starts. Monty Bailey is not Kendra Miller, although we all love him. He's he's not he's not Kendra Miller. And and who's the Amari Di Mercado right now? No one. They don't have an Amari. They don't have a Cam Cook, which we're going to get to. <laughs> they don't have a Quentin Johnston. They have a Darius Davis and, and Tay Barber, I think. Um, but but the weapons, especially up front, and anyone that's listening to this broadcast is crazy enough about football to understand games are won and lost in the trenches. And right now, TCU, honestly, they played their worst game. And we kind of started to see some of that against SMU. We started to see that they were struggling a little bit against some athletic defensive lines and West Virginia just sold out. They, they knew something was going on with Chandler throwing the ball. They could sell out at one point in the game. I don't know if you noticed this or got it on your notes in that third quarter, go back and watch that third quarter. And I want you to look how many guys were playing only 10 yards off the ball. And and post it on and post it on the site because you're going to come back and you're going to say, Jeremy, there were 11 guys within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage for West Virginia. You know why? Because number one, they were selling out the run. They stopped stopped the run. Number two, they knew TCU did not have a vertical threat. Jalen Robinson didn't play. Major Everhart didn't run deep, and they knew Chandler couldn't throw deep. They kept. They didn't care. They they knew anything behind us. It's okay. It's not going to be. It's not going to be completed, because you're not going to have a receiver run by our guys. And number two, if he does, Chandler's going to overthrow him by 25 yards. That's just how. I mean, that's that's. If Chandler misses deep, it's he's throwing it. He's throwing it past him. He's not. He's not under. He's not undershooting him. He's going to throw it uh, too far. So, I, I can. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say Browse um, was good, but I'm also not going to come on here and say that he was terrible 
because again, I may sound like a total jerk when I say this, and I'm sure I'll get a message from someone's families or someone execution has to happen and go back and listen to Sonny. He said last night, when you have offensive line struggles, it's very, he said very hard to call an offense. And what Jared Wiley post last night on Twitter, did you see it? I did not. He said, do not blame the coaches, player execution. Something, I'm paraphrasing here. So, they obviously know it. And I and I get it. People are going to want to say, well, it's the coaches' jobs to get those players out of there that aren't executing. Are you going to take Andrew Coker out of the game because he false starts or he holds? Are you going to take Chandler Morris out of the game? Yeah, maybe if he throws three interceptions. Are you going to take Imani Bailey out of the game because he's averaging two yards per carry? No. You're 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 going to keep guys in there. You're not just going to throw the new guys in there because it feel, you, you feel like a fifth or sixth year senior isn't getting it done. So you're going to throw a young guy in there. That's just that's not how that's not how football works. So best I could say is, you know, I'm I'm nervous. I'm very nervous about this offense now, but I'm also going to give credit where credit's due. I think West Virginia is a pretty good defense. They held Texas Tech to 13 points, and uh, Texas Tech, you know, they're not they're they're having their own struggles as well. But maybe maybe West Virginia is just better than what we gave them credit for. That's that's the only thing I can come up with, Jeff. West Virginia was, if I remember correctly, predicted last or second to last in the Big Twelve. Here they are, four and one with their only loss to Penn State. So that's not there. As somebody said, one of the OU guys I follow said, "Talk to your kids about a ten-win West Virginia because they're staring it right in the eye. There's nobody left on their schedule except Oklahoma that I think they they can't line up and beat. So I do want to give West Virginia credit. And I want to give Neil Brown credit because what Neil Brown has been up against is is podcasts like this for four years saying he's not the guy. You know, they lose Dana, they make a hire. He had done a great job at Troy. He took us he I've heard he turned down the Kentucky job to take West Virginia. No, not not Kentucky, Louisville, excuse me. I heard he turned down the Louisville job to take West Virginia. I, I he's he's done a great job. He's put his players in there. They play a, a, a respectable style of football. Their defensive line shut down our offensive line. And you, you, we talk about how we're handicapped on offense. How about they're handicapped on offense? They don't have game. They don't. They don't have a KD Cannon. They they don't have a Tay Barber. And they do what it took to. They did what it took to win the game. And I give West Virginia all the credit. And I say good for you, Neil Brown. I mean, this is a world where everybody wants to fire the new coach in you know eighteen months in, and all he's done is bounce back from being in the in the in the in the pits. Uh, maybe it's a play on words. They beat Pitt. They beat Tech. They beat. T- TCU and uh, you know West Virginia fans have to be you know happy as can be because they're not as delusional as we are. They've never tasted the rare air that we have, and they 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 have got to be pleased with the direction of their program. You know what has happened the last five out of six times? Oh, we've got, oh we've gotten beat by West Virginia. Yep, West Virginia has won five out of so West Virginia is to TCU what TCU is to Texas, honestly. We want to talk about the defense. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's go ahead and flip there. Go for it. What do you? Th- I mean, looking back, this is a game where TCU had over ninety total yards more than West Virginia. 
But going into the game, if you go back to my bold predictions, other than the stupid prediction that I had for the score, I thought the total yards was going to be a difference. And, and I mentioned I mentioned the reason why. I even put a, a caveat in there. If Garrett Green plays, they're going to have 30 more yards of total offense because I knew his running ability was going to be a problem. God couldn't hit the side of the barn in the first half, completes only three of 10 for 60 yards. But his feet, kept West Virginia alive. And as soon as I found out that he was playing, I mean, they West Virginia, those guys did a good job. They they were probably told, hey, don't say anything about Garrett Green practicing or anything like that. Because Garrett Green ain't just going to show up to Fort Worth on a Saturday and say, hey, I'm going to I'm ready now. I'm going to be starting. So those guys did a very good job of kind of being secretive of letting people know how healthy Garrett Green was, because I'm going to be honest with you, he didn't look like he's missed games. He looked like he was fresh out there. I mean, he obviously he's going to be fresh because he missed games, but he didn't look like he had missed a beat. And his his legs were really the difference. But overall, TCU gave up, gave up 21 points, but there were times in that game where they really stepped up. That, that goal line, uh, they had a third and – or third and short, fourth and short, they came up big. Defense overall, to me, <laughs> first time I've said this this year, they're not they're not the reason. Uh, well, Colorado, obviously, the defense was the reason TCU lost to Colorado. The defense is not the reason TCU lost to West Virginia. Yeah, TCU's uh, defense. I mean, how do you argue if if we would have if we would have sat down? What time is it? Seven thirty. If we would have sat down 25 hours ago and said the TCU defense is going to hold West Virginia to 24 points, do you think the Frogs will win? If I'd have done that on a, on a poll on Horn Frog Blitz or on Twitter, everybody would have, it would have been 100%. Yeah, we're going to win. There's no way that we're not going to be able to do that. They did everything that should be asked of a defense. You can talk about this moment or, you know, I felt like, you know, in that, when, when they kicked that field goal to take the lead, I felt like we could have had opportunities in that drive to shut them down. But how do you argue with what, what the defense did? And then you, you referenced what I wrote down that I wanted to talk about. You know, the West Virginia gets the touchdown, but then they review it and they put it back at the five. What happens after that? The Frogs stuff them four straight plays. And they get a turnover on downs. That was a great moment. That was a moment where I thought, all right, our you know our frustration level is high, but that's the kind of uh, stop that you need to swing the momentum of the game and to be able to to get your offense out there with a little bit of energy because the defense has done everything you've asked of them. But in that in that uh, goal line stand, it did not become the pivot that I thought it that I thought it had the potential to be. Giving up twenty four points, it's really hard to argue with the production of the defense. Yeah, and I, the the secondary played well. Now West Virginia is not known to be a passing team, uh, and, and Garrett Green is is not known to be a passer. But I was, again, I would have felt a lot more comfortable with Nico out there playing quarterback for West Virginia rather than Garrett Green because Nico doesn't have that type of running ability. Garrett Green's a fast quarterback. We all saw that when he scrambled away from I think it was Shad Banks and raced thirty five yards, basically untouched for that touchdown. But I, I felt like um, there was only a few times. I mean, obviously, when they were able to tie the game, they had a big, I want to say, third and five or third and eight. I can't remember. I don't have notes in front of me. But they ended up allowing a 12-yard completion. And a few plays later, they were able to score, and it, and it tied up the game. But I really can't look back and say, man, if they would have just done this or they would have just done that, 
can't I really can't do that for the defense this game. I mean, it's it's tough to go back and look, and I haven't gone back to watch the game. I'll be you know give full disclosure on that, but uh, you're not it, you're not missing it. <laughs> usually, I don't want to watch those kind of games because it just it, it frustrates the heck out of you. But um, this this again, this was the game where I walked away and said, defense did what they needed to do. There's there's nothing really any not a whole lot different other than shutting them down. And but like you said in the beginning, like 24 points. The way TCU's offense has been scoring this year, you're thinking, oh, that's that's a win. That's that's 24 points. TCU's winning. TCU's winning by 17. They're going to win 41-24. And when you look back at it, you look at the missed field goals. You look at scoring opportunities. It's just, it's not good. And it, you got you got field goals on your notes too, don't you? I see you smirking. Yes, I do. That's you. You're. You know, we do prep about 90 seconds before we hit record, but that that is next in my outline here. Griffin Kell, God bless him. We did not set him up to succeed. Let's start with that. But the uh, Kell was 0 for 3. Uh, we get block kicks and angst and weird calls and reviewed passes that get ruled incomplete at the end of the game. And you stack that up with uh, with special teams that we got some questions about. Uh, you know who should be back there returning it. We're obviously uh, losing yardage that Darius Davis usually would pick up by being able to field the ball cleanly or be able to get 10, 15 yards or take it to the house. But let's start with Kel. But let's start with the kicking game in general. What a mess. That's all I have to say. Just absolutely what a what a mess. I'm shaking my head at you here online. You are rolling your eyes like you're a, a, a youth football dad that can't get his kid to block. What a mess. I feel really bad for Griff, man, because he's such a good dude. But I really think something's in his head. I think it's like the golfer that can't can't get the ball on the fairway. They're either they're either hooking or slicing every every drive. And I really feel that way about Griffin right now. I think his confidence is really at an all-time low. He's he needs to go watch Ten Cup. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> don't want to be the guy that tries to get twelve shots on the green um, to prove every to prove a point. Um, God, I'm umming a lot. Let's see what West Virginia does to you. But the thing I think about Griffin, I mean, he's seven of 13 right now, and he's never been that bad percentage wise his whole career at TCU. And I'm going to tell you right now, he can make it. I've, I've seen that guy routinely make 55 yarders in practice, close to 60 yarders. He, I mean, he, he can do that. He was off on the first one, but you get that crazy intentional grounding penalty. That pushed him back. We'll talk about that later because I got some hot, hot opinions on the the refs. Penalties are, Penalties are next. Yeah. But I'm gonna tell you right now, anyone that watched that game, those two kicks that got blocked had no chance. They had they had no chance. I looked I looked over at Steven Johnson with after West Virginia went up 24-21. I said that's going to be the final score because I don't trust them to be able to kick special teams right now unless they score a touchdown. I can't, I can't trust special teams right now. I even told my wife she was watching the game. She's texting me. Do you think they'll have a chance to tie? I said no. I I don't think so. I'll even share the screenshot if I have to. But I just I didn't have any confidence whatsoever 
and I don't right now. I don't have confidence whatsoever in the special teams, whether it's field goals, extra points, um, definitely punt returns, kick returns still. I mean, I'm fine with kick returns. I'm fine with Major Everhart trying to make a play. Yeah, that's that's fine. He's he's got ten three speed. I I don't care about that. Show you know, go make a play, kid, because everyone else doesn't want to make a play. So you go try to make a play. I'm fine with that. But even Sonny said those kicks. He he was basically kicking at our players' backs. There was no there was no elevation whatsoever. And I again, if I feel I feel terrible for for Griff because he's he is a good a great kid. Came back for another year. You had their long snapper. You had your holder and your main kicker coming back. That was a, a core strength of this team last year. And it's one of the worst units right now. Well, let's go back to that second field goal. Not the one that, that got blocked at the end of, regular, at the, end of the game. But I, I, if I remember... You know, I was pacing my living room, so I want to make sure I get this right. Frogs come up just short. Sonny's trying to decide, should we go for it or do we kick? All right, uh, hold on. All right, go kick. And they're going out there, and the clock looks like the Baylor game in 2022. What What do you think should have gone – what do you think should have happened there? Because in my head, I'm like, why don't you just call the timeout? Get everybody set. It's not like we're, we're doing the hurry-up that we both don't even like, which they are committed to, so whatever. Call timeout. Get your kicker lined up, go out there and kick it. Or is it, hey, the guy knows how to get out there, get set real quick and kick it, and that way he doesn't have to think about it. Maybe maybe that's the angle. But that was a frustrating that was a frustrating drive where the frogs had a chance to tie the game up. And uh I felt like clock management was an issue. Yeah, that was that was big and you could tell that that sequence of plays kind of disturbed Sonny after the game because he he told us, you know, he even he brought it up. Um without us having to bring it up to them that going back, that was a fourth and short situation. You're going back and forth. Do I, do we go? Do we, but again, when you have an offensive line, that's just getting thrown around fourth and short could almost seem like fourth and five. You know what I mean? So it's, I I could see the frustration there. Now, if they were blocking at a high level, 100%, you just take the snap and you go run it right down their throats and you don't worry about it. But the way the offensive line was blocking, I think that was the major part of the indecisiveness. And I agree with you. I probably would have just taken the timeout right there. But sometimes timeouts are a premium. And maybe they felt, since they practice it all the time, they I mean, they've they have gone on record. I've seen them with my own two eyes. They, they practice, for lack of better terms, a hurry-up kick. Um they they obviously did it last year. Bazooka on the Brazos. It's it's been successful. So I also get the point where they feel like we've been down this road before. We can do this, do this. Okay, go out there, go out there, guys, go out there. But I do feel like and and just if if I was making that decision, I call a timeout and I put Chandler under center and I have someone push his butt, just like Jaquarius Spivey did to Max Duggan in the in the uh, Fiesta Bowl, you know, that's, you, you've got to have your playbook. It, it drives me nuts when I see a fourth and short and I see a quarterback in shotgun situations. It's, it's oh, the, Oh, that should be illegal. It, it, it's the, you know, high schools do it. Colleges do it. 
I, I don't know why. And I had I asked someone one time, why do why do y'all do that? Why why are people so stubborn? And they said because they don't practice going under center enough, um, and they're nervous that the the quarterback's not going to be able to take it from the from the center. But the thing about TCU this year is Browse goes under center. He's gone under center. They 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 have plays where they go under center quite a bit. So I would I would have rather just see them getting a tight like almost like a wing tee, just like get all up close to the line and let Chandler take the snap and just push the heck out of them, push that line up. I remember the last few years of Snyder ball in Kansas state when it was, you know, third and one or, or fourth and one or fourth and two, you know, they just put that slow, efficient quarterback under the center. They get in a, in a, t- almost like an inverted uh, wishbone where they'd have the fullback you know, a yard and a half behind the quarterback, and then the two halfbacks, you know, half a yard behind the quarterback, he'd take the snap, he'd start to lean forward, and then all three of the backs would just push on him. And it was it was almost a guaranteed first down. I, I want to be able to quote the quote this accurately, and I can't remember who to attribute it to. So as long as you know I didn't say it. They said the problem with the Browse offense historically and all of its all the branches of it is it can get you twenty yards when you don't need it, but it can't get you two yards when you do need it. And that's what I feel like. Um, that's what I felt like with West Virginia. And, it, and I know it's there's there's issues connected to that, and not being able to run the ball, offensive line injury. One offensive line injury should not be able to stop us from getting fourth and one. That's my that's my originally roughneck dad on the sideline take. No, I agree. I, I I had no idea losing Brandon Coleman was going to just send the offensive line into mass chaos the way it looked the other day. Uh, and again, I'm going to give West Virginia's defensive line some credit because they've played good defensively. I mean, this is a defense that's only allowed that coming into this game against Pitt, against Texas Tech, and I, who else they beat? I can't remember who else they beat. But in their little three-game win streak that they had, that their defense was only allowing 12 points per game. So it's not like they were giving up 30 points a game and they held TCU under. TCU actually scored over than what West Virginia was allowing. But, again, I'm, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to give too much credit when you have an offensive line that just played under expectations. Duquesne, that's who they played. Remember when we opened with Duquesne a couple of years ago? Duquesne. Duquesne, that powerhouse up north. <laughs> all, right, all right, let's talk about penalties. Let's end with that. Um you know that we could we could just squeeze all the juice out of this this uh, lemon and would still be pissed off in two hours. But let's just talk about penalties. All right, you've got some hot takes. I've got hot takes because I think we're going to disagree on this. Let's start with intentional grounding. Do you, you know Chandler wings that thing? All we had was I, I think it was Dalen Wright that ran the wrong route, um, or maybe it was Savion. But everybody knew what happened there, and they still got dropped for intentional grounding. Do you agree with that call or not? I don't agree with it because he wasn't getting rushed. It was clearly a miscommunication. Dalen Dalen ran short. Chandler was throwing toward a receiver. It's not his fault. Dalen stopped his route, and the ball continued to travel. You know, ten to fifteen yards past wherever Dalen was running. Now, had I seen a linebacker go unblocked right up the middle and got in Chandler's face, and Chandler's just heaving it forward? Then yeah, I I could agree with an, an intentional grounding, but I I just I don't see it that way. I I see it as a miscommunication. He wasn't he wasn't ever rushed into that throw, and 
It's one of those clear mistakes. He thought Dalen was going deep, and Dalen went short. No, I agree. And th- there was not pressure, and there was not pressure to justify the the flag there. You know, there it, that that was just a terrible call. We see that like once a game from every team where I thought he was going short and he went long, or vice versa. And if if you're not making that decision on a snap second in order to get rid of the ball. There was nothing intentional about getting rid of that ball. That's the part that ticks me off. So that was that was a terrible judgment call by the officials. But where I think we might disagree, buddy Williams, that's defensive holding. I, I I think the refs got that right. I'm not sitting here saying that they should be working the Super Bowl or the national title game, but I think the refs got that right. And as an offensive lineman, you know, playing a few years ago, uh, defensive holding is a thing. And I know there's an emphasis on it now, and especially with you know guards and tackles are trying to chip block and get to the second level, and with how complicated you know uh, the scheme is now versus years ago, uh, it's to the it is to the defense's advantage for that off for that offense for that defensive lineman to to eat up two people and hold the lineman, and I think they got the call right. And uh, I know everybody was ticked off about it, and going back and watching it, I think they got it. Well, I didn't go back and watch it. So a lot of these things where we're sitting, you can't hardly see a whole lot of offensive line play. You can see some obvious holds. You can see some obvious false starts. But as this is happening, I get a text from a couple of my buddies. They're like, man, Williams is dirty. He is holding those guys. And so he was obviously doing something. I think when teams try to run the good old-fashioned GT counter, guard tackle counter, those defensive linemen are going to grab. They're going. They're going to grab because they're trying to prevent them to to getting where they're going. And I think without having seen the replay, without having watched the the game or anything else, the only way defensive linemen typically held for or called for holding is when you have a pulling guard, pulling tackle, and they get held and they get stopped to try. You know, they get held to uh, prevent uh, their blocking. So. Without, I'm going to agree with you now. Sonny's not going to agree with you, Jeff, because Sonny, in post game, I asked him if he got any type of explanation um, on that call calls, and basically just said like, he wasn't happy. He didn't didn't like the calls. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he he did not agree with them. Well, Sonny has um, the last two weeks kind of gone after the officials in the postgame presser. So I don't know if his uh, if he's been fined for that or not, but uh, he seems quite comfortable. And he blew up at him on the sidelines. He got the 15-yard uh, personal foul. Uh, good for you. I mean, that was the thing. It was it was half the distance to the goal, so it's not like it did did all that much. But that he was not happy about that. So yeah. He's he's been quite comfortable blowing up at the uh, at the refs. Yeah, he he wasn't happy at all with with the calls, and uh, we've seen Sonny for what is it, fifteen games last year, five games for twenty games now, and that was the most defeated look I've ever seen Sonny have after a game, and it was you know it you could you could tell it frustrated the heck out of him. Well, let, let's flip to that because 
we're human beings, and I know that we are obsessed with football, and we love this game, and we love this program, and we're the people that want to know about the the top five of a 16-year-old that we've never met, um, that if we had to raise them or teach their Sunday school class, I'm sure they'd drive, we, they'd, they'd drive the, the fans crazy because they're 15, 16-year-olds. But Sonny lost his brother-in-law on and flew out on Thursday to Lubbock. His brother-in-law, it's not Joe Golding, as many people have um, asked me, who's the head coach at UTEP. It's uh, it's Katie's, no, it's it's his sister's husband, if I have that right. It's his sister's husband. And, dude, let's just talk about this. Death sucks. Sudden death is awful. Losing someone that, you know, I, I my hunch is the Dykes family is pretty close. If they're out there in Lubbock, they've had deep roots. That that is just awful, and you can say, "Oh, you got to put it out of your mind," and uh, you know, go go do your job. I'm like, well, you've clearly never lost somebody and had to go do a, a, a tough, intense job. So there, there's no perfect way to handle it. There's no roadmap for grief. Uh, you know, when I've gone through ex- intense grief in my life, I go to work, and I know some people need to hole up for 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 a while and be on their own. So there's just no there's no there's no one way to handle it. And he had to co- he, he he had to get the team ready, whether he was going to be there or not. And anybody that says maybe you shouldn't have been there, just let it go, man. Let that let that crap go. I'm sorry, I don't have any patience for that. This is a choice he made that he was free to do, and um, that's not the reason that we shanked all those field goals. But he was not in a good spot, and we understand why. So I just, I just wanted to put that rant out there. It's, it's a little more in my profession than oil and gas like yours. But grief is a grief is a monster, and shock is a monster. And I'm just thinking and praying for the Dykes family because that that kind of death out of nowhere for someone close is, is you know, my cousin died in July. She's you know seven, you know, eight years younger than me. It was it was just awful. And um, it, it you know grief sucks and it's sudden and it robs you of part of who you are. And I hope I hope the whole Dykes family finds some some relief and some hope in the midst of all of this. And I hope Sonny has permission to take care of that and not worry about. Uh, working 16 hours to beat Iowa State. We're going to beat Iowa State or we're not. I hope he's taking care of himself. So thus ends the sermon. Come forward if you want to join the church. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can do right now is lift them up in prayer. And I, I do know that, you know, we I didn't even know about it until before the game. Um, we we had found out about it. But I do know that, like you said, it was it was sudden. And do know he was extremely close with – with his brother-in-law. So yeah, up, up there in Lubbock and, you know, you, you could tell he was, he was, he was wearing it, man. He was wearing it and, you know, obviously upset about the loss, but you, you could just kind of tell there was, there was a, a ton weighing on his mind. And again, I'll, you, you just lift up him and, and the family in prayer and, and hope they can get through it. I want to give a shout out because I bet you didn't see this. I saw it on uh, the uh, on TV as the game was getting ready to start when they were running some clips. Uh, Neil Brown, they had him mic'd up in pregame, and I, maybe they ran this um, like at the first uh, timeout or between first and second quarter. He went out of his way. He's having you know the pregame talk with 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 Dykes, and they're you know chatting it up. And he says, you know, Sonny, nobody was as excited for y'all's run last year as I was. And you, you guys did a great job. And I'm, I'm just really proud of everything you accomplished. So Neil Brown seems like a good dude. I'm glad he's turned it around. I wish he hadn't turned it around against us. I wish he had beaten Penn State and then TCU beat uh, West Virginia. But it doesn't work out that way. So, you know, in a world of divisiveness, gosh, man, SMU fans, all nine of them are in my 
in my DMs and replying to everything I tweet. I may have tweeted a picture of their stadium at kickoff with, you know, looked like, uh, you know, nine people there. Um, but, you know, it, it's good to have a good guy. And, and Neil Brand seems like a good guy. So I just, I just wanted to get that in there. Did they play UNC Charlotte or College of Charleston? They played, they played uh, Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they're Charlotte's in the American now, right? That, that is correct. And they have the coach that goes out there with the cutoff sleeves and everything. Is that him? That's him. He was on Harbaugh's staff last year. Uh, Biff Hoagie, I think that's his name. That sounds like a, a sandwich you get in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, this week's another winnable game. Iowa State, they got beat bad by OU. Me as a former member of the uh, Matt Campbell fan club, I gave away my card earlier this year, and I think you did too. But this is another winnable game. See how fast they can get things turned around. I'm a positive guy, Jeff. I try to be positive. I know there's, I am there's, too. That's the problem. There's a lot of hate in this world. There's a lot of negativity. When I when they lost that game last night, for some reason, I thought that was already two losses in the Big Twelve. It's not two losses in the Big 12. It's one loss. There was a team last year that made it to the Big 12 championship with two losses. Kansas State. And they ended up winning the Big 12 championship. So I'm not going to jump ship yet. I'm not I'm not going to do it. But Iowa State's not going to – it's going it, to – it's Iowa State every game. It's overcast. Looks like it's going to rain. It's great Midwest football. There's going to be a – Everybody's got flannel on in August up there. Yes. I, I, it's a seven. It's a seven p.m. kickoff. So it, it, Jack Trice Stadium is kind of rowdy at night. I don't know what I don't know what we're going to see because Iowa State. I don't know what the hell they are. I, honestly, I I have no idea what the heck they are. Um, but on that same token, I really don't know what TCU is right now either. I, I don't know either, and I don't know that we'll know a lot more because here's the thing. If we lose, everybody's going to say, man, we suck. We suck all year. And if we win, well, it's Iowa State. They're nothing. So, you know, I don't know that we're going to know much more. I think the Frogs can win next week. Um, what I really want is I want the Frogs to win. I want them to win big. And then I want like a uh, hard knocks crew following – Campbell off the field as he goes through the tunnel and have see see if they can record every single Iowa State fan of what they say to him. You're on the hot seat, buddy. I want to see him going after fans because you know that guy can scrap. You know he's he's got to be one of the younger, fitter coaches in the Big Twelve. You know he wants to go punch some of those guys in the face. He's the best coach they've ever had. If Iowa State fans want to fire him, you are spoiled brats. Iowa State has never been as relevant as they are under Matt Campbell, and he's having a tough year or two here. So that's that, that's that's my thought of next week against Iowa State. I want to see him win, and I want to see Matt Campbell go off on some fan with eight bush lights and a flannel on in his car hearts over it and at Jack Trice Stadium. You may see it. You never know. You may you may see TC go out there and put up a fifty spot. Who knows? You, we don't know. We just don't know a lot about this team. There, we thought we did. We thought we started to see some consistency, a decent offense, better defense, and that just goes right down the right down the toilet. That's what West Virginia does to you. 
Can't lo- can't, can't lose those games. Oh, we're going to end on that. That is what West Virginia does to us. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. We are proud to be part of HornFrogBlitz.com. Hey, if you want a place to unload all of your bitterness, your anger, your expert play calling, or what you would do in tough situations, you need to join Hornfrog Blitz. Now is the time to get uh, logged on. We would love for you to join our board. It's a great place to stay connected to Frog fans. And hey, if you love this podcast, tell everybody about it. Get the word out there. We continue to grow each week. And this is a place where you're going to get some straight talk and uh, clearly the two most qualified human beings in the world to talk about college football from our rich experience of it. So until we get together again, for Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.